I am really, really excited about this morning's um, sermon. I, when we were thinking back several months ago about this Daniel series, and I, I wanted to call it epic because, um, and one of the reasons is because of what we're going to talk about today, because you realize when you, when you get into something like this, and God has been writing an epic story from the beginning of time. And some of that includes prophecy, things that, that God says, this is what's going to happen. And then all of a sudden you, you realize that's been happening. God's been fulfilling that. And you also realize that, that we're part of the story. I mean, God said things were going to happen thousands of years ago, and we're watching some of that happen today. And it's epic. And so God has written a story in the past that's epic. And today he's still doing great things, and the future is epic. And so we're going to get a chance to see some of that uh, just unfold in front of us here this morning. So I'm excited. Um, I know that uh, many of you ha- maybe have not been able to be here over the last few weeks. We started this series at the end of spring break and uh, there are a lot of things going on. So I want to recap, if I could, the last two weeks. I won't do this every week, but since we're into week three, we can do it now. Um, but in Daniel 1, when we enter this story here, um, you realize that we're in the year one of, of the reign of a, of a guy by the name of King Nebuchadnezzar. And we're going to see as the story unfolds that he's a little bit crazy, um, but he is the, uh, the king of Babylon. Think of Iraq, okay? Nebuchadnezzar leads an assault on Jerusalem and he conquers it. And in the process, he, he takes several young Jewish men into captivity with the purpose of, of training them in the ways of Jewish culture so that they can then enter into the king's royal service. He wants them to be part of, of his royal service. But God raises up a young man by the name of Daniel and, um, and, and three friends, that, and he gives them the courage, Daniel 1.8 says, to resolve in their hearts that they would not defile themselves. And they resolve in their hearts not to enter the king's plan to brainwash them, which was really what was going on here. And as a result, these young men, they find favor in the eyes of the king and God gives Daniel special ability to interpret uh, visions and dreams. Now we get into chapter two in the year two of of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, which um, by the way is 603 BC. So when we talk here this morning, we're talking about real history, real history. Daniel two tells us that Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and the dream messes him up so badly that he can no longer sleep. And so he pulls all of his magicians, his enchanters, his sorcerers, all of his wise men together. And he demands that they tell him what he dreamed and what it meant. And they ask him a very logical question. They're like, hey, king, um, tell us about the dream so that we can tell you what it means. I mean, that's logical, right? Just explain what you dreamt and and we'll, we'll tell you what it means. And the king comes back with a very illogical response. No, no, no. You tell me what I dreamed. And then I want you to tell me what it means or I'm going to tear you limb to limb and I'm going to have your houses burned down. So obviously they go into panic mode and they begin to plead with Nebuchadnezzar. Um, King, only the gods can, can tell you your dream and they don't live here. The gods you want to enter into this story, they're not living in Babylon right now, okay? So we are in an impossible situation as it relates to King Nebuchadnezzar and what he wants here. So the king orders that the whole crew of magicians and sorcerers and enchanters, all of them, that they be executed. And Daniel and his friends were actually part of that crew, okay? But Daniel asked the commander of the king's army, he says, will you allow me to come uh, into the presence of the king? And he says, yes. And so um, we see Daniel in front of Nebuchadnezzar. 
And he says, can you just give me a little bit of time here um, so that I can try to figure some things out and I'm going to come back to you and I'm going to try to tell you what uh, not only the dream was, but what it meant. And Nebuchadnezzar actually grants him that time. So Daniel goes to his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he says, guys, I need you right now. I need you to pray with me that God will grant us, grant me mercy and give me the interpretation of this dream so that we don't die. And so these guys, man, they go to prayer. They go to prayer and God reveals everything about Nebuchadnezzar's dream to Daniel. And instead of taking credit, Daniel praises God. He gives all the glory to God. It's what Paul Richardson did a great job talking about last week. And, um, and so now we get into verse 24, which is where we left off last Sunday. In verse 24, Daniel goes to the commander of the army and he says, listen, don't, don't kill anyone. Okay, take me to the king and I will tell him the meaning of the dream. And so uh, in verse 27, Daniel's standing before King Nebuchadnezzar and he says, King, uh, listen, there are no wise men. There are no enchanters, no magicians, no foreign teller, uh, fortune tellers that are going to be able to tell you what you want to know about your dream. But there is one who can. There is one who can. It's the God of heaven who reveals secrets and he is about to tell you the future. Now, and he says, now, just in case as I'm doing this, that you think that I'm all that, I want you to know I am no wiser than anyone else, but God is the one who wants you to understand what was going on in your heart. Now, I just got to take a moment and pause because I just, I love Daniel and I love the way he rolls. Um, he doesn't attempt to tackle this problem in his own strength. He just goes right to the Lord. He gathers his friends around him to pray and God comes through and Daniel gives all the praise and glory to the Lord. And then when he's standing in front of the king, when he could have made himself look good and, and you know, patted himself on the back and grabbed some praise from the king, he just points all the glory right back to God. All the glory back to God. Now, let me just say this. The same God that has the ability to come through in Daniel's impossible situation has the ability to come through for you right now this morning. Regardless of what you're going through, the most, the most powerful resource that you have when you find yourself in an impossible situation is prayer. And when you pray, you come before the same God that Daniel prayed to, the exact same God who has never changed. But because of Jesus, okay, you now can come into the presence of God with boldness and confidence. And God says, I promise you will find a God who, who will give you mercy and grace in your time of need. And when God answers that prayer, I want you to know there's absolutely no room for pride or for us to grab the glory because all the glory just needs, go, needs to go right back to him. When I do something, God says, when I do something powerful for you, just put all the glory right back on me, Okay. Well, we get into verse 31 and Daniel then begins this interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And so with this boldness and clarity from God, Daniel begins to share uh, God's message with the king. Now the king is laying down because Daniel says, I want you to close your eyes. I want you to think about, you know, what you saw before. And in verse 31, it says, you saw, O king, and behold, a great image. And this image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you and its appearance was frightening. So while the king is laying down in his bed, Daniel takes him back to this image of this terrible statue of this huge man towering over him. And Daniel describes the image as frightening. Verse 32. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and 
thighs of bronze, its legs of iron and feet partly of iron and partly of clay. Now, as Daniel's describing this giant image to the king, I, I want you to make some notes, okay? And I want you to note that the metal deteriorates in value as it goes from head down to the toes, down to the feet. And this magnificent image has a head of gold, all right? And it goes from silver, bronze, iron, iron, and clay. Meaning that this structure that appears to be just powerful and invincible is entirely unstable and destined to fall. Verse 35. As you looked, Daniel says, a stone was cut out by no human hand and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the shaft of the summer threshing floor and wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found, but the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Daniel says, there's one stone. One stone brings this mighty image down. It doesn't fall to the ground like a fallen tree. No, no, no. The impact of this stone annihilates the entire structure and nothing is left but dust that is blown away by the wind. Nothing's left except for the stone. The stone's left. And it, and it is this stone, it begins to grow and grow and grow until it becomes a great mountain that, it, that covers the entire earth. Now, imagine what Nebuchadnezzar had to be thinking as Daniel repeats this dream to him. I mean, he had to be filled with wonder and terror. I mean, here's a guy who knows the details of my dream. And he has to be thinking, this dream that, that I dreamt has to be significant. That's significant, because how could this guy know this? But what in the world does this mean? Well, Daniel begins to interpret the dream now. How did he do that? Well, Daniel tells us what each part of the vision rep rep uh, represents, starting with the head of gold. The head of gold was the Babylon kingdom. Verse 37, he says, You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the might, and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the fields, and the birds of the heaven, making you rule over all of them. He says, you, you're the head of gold. You're the head of gold. Daniel tells the king here that the scepter of the world's power rests in his hands because God's placed it there. God's put the scepter of the world's power right in Nebuchadnezzar. He's the one who made Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon. And, and, and at this point, as the head of the world. But things are about to change. And then Daniel begins to describe the meaning of the next part of this statue. He begins to describe the chest and arms of silver, which actually represented the, the, the Medo-Persian empire. Verse 39 in the first part of it says, King, another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you. Now, I'm sure that had to be really difficult for Nebuchadnezzar. He's laying there to believe that an inferior kingdom would overthrow pow powerful Babylon. But history tells us, history tells us that Babylon had this amazing defense system that was built to protect the kingdom. It was built to last. And we know from history that there was a huge moat that tied into the Euphrates River that kind of stood as a first line of defense of Babylon. And surrounding the wall, sur surrounding Babylon, was a, was a double wall system. The ancient historian uh, Herodotus measured them and then reported it back in history that, that the wall was 300 feet high and 87 feet thick. That's, that's a big wall, okay? Babylon, again, was built to last, but in 
593 BC, okay? According to Herodotus, the combined forces of the Medes and the Persians diverted the Euphrates River, causing the water level to drop, which allowed, okay, the Persians to gain access to an unlocked water gate. And Babylon fell without a fight, and in its place rose this Medo-Persian kingdom. And its leader, Darius the Mede, who we're going we're gonna to meet in a few chapters from now, he would then, as, as he's taking things over and conquering nation to nation, he would make nations that he conquered pay tribute to him back in silver. Now, what is the chest and arm made of in Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the statue? Silver. This is cool, isn't it? Then Daniel uh, begins to describe to Nebuchadnezzar the significance of the belly and the thighs of bronze, which was actually the Grecian kingdom. He describes uh, in in the last part of verse 39 as a kingdom which shall rule over all the earth. Well, in 331 BC, a young Greek by the name of Alexander the Great comes onto the scene and he basically conquers the entire world, which includes the Persian Empire. And ironically, the Greek soldiers used shields made of bronze. Now listen, this is real history being laid out in a God-given prophetic vision between Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar all the way back in 603 BC. And these things are unfolding after that vision was, 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 was declared. But as powerful as Alexander the Great and the Greek empire was, there was another piece of iron strength that would conquer him. And Daniel describes the legs of iron and the feet of iron and clay, which is the Roman kingdom. And we could include now the Western nations into that. Verse 40, and there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. Daniel begins to describe a kingdom made of iron and of clay, two elements that cannot be mixed. Iron and clay, when they're poured into a crucible and they're heated to melting point and then poured into a mold, when that mixture begins to cool, iron and clay will, they'll still remain separate. The clay will begin to fall out of the mold, leaving the cast of iron very weak. Well, in 146 BC, the Romans... They plow through the Mediterranean and eventually Europe, demolishing everything in their sight. But Daniel 2, 41, 43 tells us that as the Roman Empire expands over time, its power begins to deteriorate. And that's exactly what happened to the Roman Empire. Okay? But that's not what caused this kingdom to crumble. Author Chuck Swindoll said it is that its true weakness came from within as its iron-like assets mixed with its clay-like liabilities. Now think about the iron that Daniel talked about. Think about what it symbolizes here. Rome symbolized an imperial attitude of, 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 uh, and, and an imperial form of government that basically sought to dominate and rule by strength and force. It, it, it was strong like iron, but it was also brittle like clay because it sought to combine imperialism with democracy. And one of the strengths of democracy is that the people actually have a voice. But we know from history and we even know from current events that that the voice of the people can be a very fickle voice. It's easily molded like clay. Think about the consistency of clay for a moment. Clay is weak, it is soft, it's easily moldable. You think about politicians, what did they try to do? They want to mold and change opinion, all right? 
to get people to see things the way they see them, to mold their opinion. Think about the power of the media, especially social media. It can shape our thoughts and mold our opinions just like clay. Again, the Roman Empire was a combination of imperialism and democracy. And as those two ideas constantly clashed with each other, it made it weak and began to deteriorate. The Roman Empire was, was also incredibly organized. It was like a well-oiled machine, but it was morally, morally corrupt. It was one of the most sexually charged kingdoms in history. It was a mixture of iron and clay. And we know from history that the Roman Empire officially ended on September 4th, 476 AD. Now think about this for a moment. Think about this. Every single nation in the Western Hemisphere was begun by one of the nations of the Roman Empire. The entire Western world is basically Roman to the core. Think about the United States for just a moment. One, our Senate is one of the foundational bases of our government. It's a copy of the Roman Senate. Our courts, our laws, our military all reflect different forms of the Roman Empire. And the fact is, every Western nation has been easily influenced by the Roman Empire. And yet, think about what's happening in the nations of the Western world today, including our own country right here. They're being torn apart by domestic strife. They're being weakened by internal conflict. They have enough iron to, to threaten with the power and the strength of Rome, but there's enough clay mixed in to weaken and paralyze each nation with internal conflicts, moral corruption, and strife. And like Rome, those nations, they, they want to achieve greatness. They want to achieve power, but they can't sustain greatness because what appears to be powerful on the outside is being constantly weakened by the corruption and the conflict that's going on in the inside. And Daniel tells us in verse 43 that these nations will try to strengthen themselves by forming an alliance, but they will not hold together just as iron and clay cannot mix. Nebuchadnezzar's dream, listen, spans the centuries of the rise and fall of the most powerful kingdoms known to mankind. And today, we're either part of that fourth kingdom, the Roman kingdom, or we're part of a fifth kingdom made up of, of Western nations. It just depends what scholar you want to read, okay? But listen to what Daniel says to, to, next to King Nebuchadnezzar in verse 44. He says, but in those days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end and shall stand forever. Just as you saw that stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, the interpretation sure." As Daniel brings this prophetic interpretation to an end, once again, he mentions a stone that was cut from a mountain that was not made by human hands that, that comes on the scene and crushes the iron, crushes the bronze and the clay and the silver and the gold. In verse 35, he describes a stone that completely obliterates every other kingdom. And he says, it's a stone that becomes a great nation. It's the divine kingdom. And it's crystal clear that, that this stone that becomes a great nation, that, that Daniel, a great mountain that, that Daniel talks about is Jesus Christ. 
First Peter chapter two, verse six through eight, describe, Peter describes Jesus as a stone that the builders rejected who becomes the cornerstone. He's the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word. And so they meet the faith that was planned for them. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter two, verse two, from the Old Testament, listen to what he says about this great stone that becomes a great mountain. He says, it shall come to pass in the latter days, the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow into it, shall flow to it. You say, when will the Lord establish his mountains? When will that all be established? When Jesus Christ returns. Chuck Swindoll says, Jesus will come back, an explosion of heavenly glory shattering the foundations of every human institution. And Daniel says in verse 44, and in in, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Jesus will set up his heavenly kingdom on earth and it will be a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Ever. Man, if you can't get excited about that, something's wrong. When Nebuchadnezzar, the Bible says that when Nebuchadnezzar heard the, the interpretation of this dream, his tear over the dream basically turns into fear of the Lord. In verse 46, 47, let me tell you what it says. It says that Nebuchadnezzar falls on his face and he pays tribute to Daniel. He actually calls Daniel's God, the God of all other gods and the Lord of every king, as well as the ruler over great mysteries. And then he begins to shower Daniel with gifts and he promotes him to be ruler over the whole province of Babylon. He makes him the leader over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel, I love this about him. He doesn't forget his friends. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're gonna meet them next week, by the way. He honors them as his prayer partners. And he gives them oversight of the day-to-day affairs of Babylon while, King, while Daniel stays in the king's court. He wants to stay next to Nebuchadnezzar. And I'm just gonna guess, because I think he knew that old Neb was a little cray-cray. He knew he needed to stay next to him, okay? There's so much we can learn from this. Oh my goodness, we could talk about this all day long. But I wanna just kind of leave you with four things, all right? First of all, God's mighty hand in history should give us great hope for the future. As you look at Nebuchadnezzar's dream, you can see that God is deliberately and clearly in control of all affairs of of every leader, every nation, every kingdom and government that has ever existed. And he does things just as he says he would. And he even adds some, some, some details into it so you cannot miss that it's him. And when you see God at work like this in history, it should give every single one of us great confidence that whatever God says is going to happen in the future. And it's gonna happen just like he says it's gonna happen. Now listen, God gives each of us a free will to make choices. But I want you to know that his purposes and plans, they're gonna be fulfilled. They're gonna happen. So we don't have to be overwhelmed by whatever, the state of affairs of whatever happens in this country or any other country. We don't have to to lose our minds over who may be sitting in the White House currently. I mean, here's what you need to know, all right? God's the one that put um, Ronald Reagan in office and took him out. He put put Bill Clinton in office and took him out. George Bush in and out, Barack Obama in and out, Donald Trump in and out. He's gonna put someone else in there. All to fulfill his purposes and his plans. So we don't have to worry. We don't have to worry about what the stock market's gonna do tomorrow. 
Because God's children, we don't ever have to be afraid of the future because God is clearly in control of the future. And when we see prophecy like this fulfilled in such a powerful manner, then we know that God can keep, God can keep and fulfill his promises to us, even down to the littlest details of our lives. The littlest things that we think maybe God, man, God's so busy running the kingdoms and all that stuff. No, no, God's, he's just as interested in the details of your lives. And that should give us tremendous hope. What God says he's gonna do, he's gonna do it. Second thing is kingdoms come and kingdoms go. Nations rise and nations fall, but the kingdom of God is everlasting. I mean, think, think of all of the kingdoms and the empires of the world that the world has ever known. The kingdom of Egypt came and went. The kingdom of Babylon, the kingdom of Persia, the king of Rome, the kingdom of Rome, the, the Ottoman kingdom. We just keep talking about them. They're all gone. Think of all the powerful nations that are just listed in the Bible. So many of them in the Old Testament just come and gone. They're just a memory. Most people have never heard of them. But the only kingdom that has stood the test of time is the kingdom of God. And in the end, this earth, as we know it, every nation that we speak of right now, including this nation, as much as we love it, will be no more. It will be part of history because God is building a new heaven and he's building a new earth that's one day it's gonna come down and it's gonna swallow everything up that currently exists. And the only kingdom that will be standing will be God's kingdom. But in Matthew chapter six, Jesus, he warns us, he's do, do not spend all of your time investing in temporary kingdoms. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths can eat them and rust can destroy and thieves will come in and break and steal. Don't spend your time consumed worrying about things that are not gonna last. Instead, Jesus says, seek my kingdom first. Build your life into my kingdom, invest in my kingdom. And he says, when you do that, I'll take care of all of the cares and concerns while you're living in this temporary earthly kingdom. Third thing, God is writing an epic story. And it all begins and ends with Jesus. From the beginning of time, God's been writing this beautiful epic story. It's a, it's a masterpiece. I mean, think about it. It, happened, it begins with a, a tragedy that happens in a garden where just all seems lost. But with each page of the story, with each chapter of the story, you can see that God is setting things up for a hero, for a redeemer who, who will enter the story as a sacrificial lamb. He will, he will give his life to rescue all who have been lost. And in, in the end, this hero returns as a mighty king and he defeats the enemy of the world and he casts him and all of his followers into a place of eternal darkness and death and suffering. And I want you to know, as much as I admire Daniel, Daniel's not the hero of this story. Jesus is the hero of this story. Matter of fact, he's the hero of the whole book from beginning to end. And in the end, I want you to know Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. I, I've been hearing about the return of Jesus since my earliest memories. It was always talked about in my mom's parents' house. I mean, we would go visit my grandparents. They would talk about it like it, would, it was, was going to happen at every moment. I mean, I remember driving home from their house and just and hearing, just you keep your eye on the eastern sky, you know? Your redemption's getting ready to be drawn. I mean, all the, I'm like, my goodness. And, and as a child, I was, I was compelled to want to tell people about Jesus because I, I thought he's coming back. He's coming back right now. My grandfather 
my mom's dad, he, he died in 1979. He had pancreatic cancer. And I was actually asking my mom about this story last night as we were driving back from watching uh, her grandkids play baseball. And I said, mom, I, I remember you telling me something unique about right before grandpa, grandpa died. And she said, yeah. She said, he was in a coma for about three days. Just didn't say a word. And she and her sisters would just sit by his bedside and sing to him, sing hymns, sing just some of the songs that were popular, Christian songs back at the time, gospel songs. And my mom said, three days of being in a coma, all of a sudden they're sitting by his bed and he just sat straight up and pointed to the sky and said, he is coming back again. And he just laid right back down and a couple, couple hours later, he just slipped right off into eternity. She said it was one of the most peaceful things that she had ever seen in her life. And I thought to myself as a, what, I was 12 years old, I thought, man, if he saw that after being in a coma for three days, I know it's gonna happen because God revealed something to him that he wanted everyone to know. So I could tell you about it today. When is Jesus coming back? Well, he told his disciples in Matthew 24, 36 that no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the son himself, only the father knows. So listen, there's gonna be those who are gonna try to predict the the exact time of his coming. You don't believe them. There's gonna be books written predicting the exact day and time when Jesus will come back. Don't buy those books. There are gonna be false teachers that are gonna come along and they're gonna try try to make some money, but they've got it figured out down to a science because of the sky or some moon or whatever's going on. You turn those off. Only God the Father knows when it's going to happen. But the Bible tells us that, that, that when Jesus, when he comes, he will come back in, in, on the clouds of heaven with power and glory. The angels will announce his arrival with, with, a, with, with, with a mighty blast of a trumpet and they, will, and they will gather God's people from all over the earth. Those who are already dead will go up to heaven first and everyone else will join them in. Two men. We're going to be working in a field side by side. And the Bible says one will be taken and the other is going to be left. Two women are going to be, they're going to be grinding flour at a mill. One will be taken. The other will be left. And those who have rejected Jesus in this lifetime will be left behind. Now, listen, I, this is not the morning where I'm going to get into all the timeline of how this all happens. Okay. I've gotten emails. Tell me about what you believe about this. You got, you got to keep coming to church. You'll find out what I believe, okay? I'm not going to tell you. We'll, we'll let it roll out for the rest of the series, all right? But those who have refused his free gift of forgiveness and salvation, they're going to be left behind when Jesus returns to take his followers to heaven. And my question for you is, are you ready? Are you ready? Well, how can I prepare myself for the return of Jesus? For those of you who are already followers of Jesus Christ, Matthew 24, verse 44 tells us to be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when we least expect it. Peter tells us to be vigilant in prayer. The book of Mark tells us to go out and tell as many people as possible about the fact that Jesus is coming again. You say, man, I'm not sure about that. Listen, God said in 603, I'm going to tell you about what's, about what to, about what's, to ha- what's going to happen here. And I'm going to reveal it in a dream with this crazy guy over here. And my guy, Daniel, is going to lay it out. And then 
I mean, kingdom after just like God said it, it, it happened just like He said. And here's the thing we're part of the current story, we're part of the story. The only thing that has not happened yet, just like God said it would happen, is the stone coming to crush everything else and to make a great mountain that will cover the earth. But it's going to happen. I mean, if everything happened just like it said, why would that not happen? So are you ready for that? Are you ready for that? Would you bow your head for a moment? I've learned over my years, if God says something, he makes a promise. He's good to his word. And if you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, the hero of our story, the one who's writing the epic story, today is your day to enter into this story. God offers you forgiveness. He offers you salvation through Jesus. He sent his son Jesus to die on a cross to take your sin upon him, to take everything that has, that has, that has separated you from God the Father, that's created an, an unreachable chasm between the two of you. And Jesus has paid the price for you today. And he's offered forgiveness and redemption and a rescue. And then three days later, after he died on a cross, he rose from the grave to once and for all defeat death so that you could live for eternity. If you've never received that free gift of salvation before, right now, you can just repeat what I'm saying. God knows your heart. Just say, Lord, at this very moment, I will no longer reject what you're offering to me. I receive salvation. I receive Jesus. I ask him to be the savior of my heart. He is the son of God, the stone who the builders have rejected and I've rejected him up to this point. But Father, I put my faith and trust in him right now. What he did for me on the cross was enough and I receive salvation into my life because I wanna know that when he comes back, I'm going with him. I don't wanna be left behind. So I say yes to this rescue right now. For those of us who are have already made that decision. We're a, we're a follower of Jesus. Let's get busy. Lord, would you help us to get busy to be mindful, Lord, that any moment it could happen. Help us to be people of prayer, vigilant in prayer. Help us to tell our friends, our, 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 our neighbors, family members, Lord. We don't want to lose anybody in this. But Lord, you give us great hope today. <laughs> Regardless of what we're going through today, Lord, if you can do all that you've just described in your word, you can take care of our issues and our needs. That should give us great hope, not just for today, but for our life in the future. And we give you all the praise. You, Lord, you get all the glory. We can't take any of it from you, Lord. You get it all. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.